welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Back. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Whoa. I put some uh, Pepsi Max in uh, in this little uh, uh, Ticketmaster water bottle that I got from uh, a mutual friend of ours. Mm-hmm. And um, it uh, squirted a little bit just now when I opened I know. it. I guess it got shook up in the car ride or something. Anyway, so... A little bit of excitement right at the top of yeah. the show. That's what I like. So that's how I'm doing. Also, it's it's the most wonderful time of the year. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean Christmas. Although I did have, I don't know. I like. I don't want like any. I don't want anyone like to take this the wrong way. Like if they're uh, if they're family of mine, because I like. <laughs> I very much like Christmas in St. Louis as well. But yeah. this is my first Christmas in three years staying in Los Angeles, and I just I really like Christmas here. It's a really great place to 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 celebrate Christmas. We we went and we saw uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Um, mm-hmm. More on that later. And then we did my favorite thing to do on Christmas Day, which is to spend the afternoon in a bar. Uh, the people who like because they're not it's not dead like you'd think. It's also mm-hmm. not like crazy packed. But yeah, the people who go to a bar on Christmas Day are just in a good mood. Everyone's it's it's like a it it, it really feels like. It feels like what I think, I think years ago you and I talked about like what your idea of a bar is and that it's not like what most bars actually are. Oh yeah, probably not. But this is like, that. I think Christmas Day, daytime bar is like your idea of a bar. It's like, it's kind of like Cheers, like right. it's kind of like <laughs> the music's not too loud, people are talking, like strangers yeah. are meeting one another. It's, it's a really pleasant yeah. place to while away uh, a few hours. Everybody knows your name, yeah. right? Yeah, and then... Um, so we saw inside Louis Davis, we went to a bar, and then we went home and we watched uh, In a World, uh, Lake Bell's film, which we both really, really liked. It's fun. It's a uh, fun movie. Yeah. There, there are some, I think there are some subplots that it probably could have done without, even though they are good subplots. Uh-huh. Um, but by and large, it's very good. So. Yeah. A lot of, yeah. Uh, I don't know how many of the cast, because there's a few people, there's at least three people who play themselves in that movie that I didn't know about. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a spoiler, I won't say. Um, but one of them in particular, the final one, uh, you and I were talking off mic, was uh, a big surprise and was very funny to me. Yeah, it's that that film was better. It's not that I thought it was going to be bad, but as I think I've said before on the show, uh, I am naturally not suspicious. I'm just wary of an actor's first sure, directorial sure. effort. And sure. Lake Bell, though, I think she has tremendous uh comedic instincts uh, from what i've seen on you know like children's hospital sure, and yeah. stuff um i just thought okay this is probably going to be quirky and and kind of interesting but by and large not that great and it's a very very worthy effort that i laughed a lot good characters a surprising amount of heart and uh, humanitarian impulses and, and uh, yeah and i also think it's a movie that has human uh, humanistic sorry okay not humanitarian uh maybe both sure why not um it's a movie that I had that, that I think is not just an excuse for her to write funny stuff for her and her friends, or not just uh, a platform for um, certain social uh, ideas. Although it is that, mm-hmm. I think it's a more fully realized piece. I think there's a lot going on under the surface mm-hmm. of in in a world, and I also think that uh, this is a hint at what will come later. I think that's a movie that will be enhanced by multiple viewings. Uh, that is entirely possible. Yes. Okay. All so, right. uh, how are you? I'm doing all right. I had a, a good Christmas. I also stayed in town, and I go back and forth. Anybody who listens to more than one lesson will know that I was kind of conflicted. I feel kind of uh, 
I tend to long for a a Christmas that no longer exists for me. Um, okay. You want to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and go, like, run downstairs and find presents under the tree? It, it, oddly enough, it has less to do with presents, more to do with just a large family gathering. Um, when I was younger, I had... I basically would have three Christmases in one week. There was my immediate family, mom's side of the family, dad's side of the family, and it was always big and festive. But like, and then we just sort of got scattered to the winds. People died. Mm -hmm. People, some people got divorced, and that sort of thing. And so it's just not what it used to be. And that is something that makes me kind of sad. But uh, I do enjoy staying here in Los Angeles, hanging out with Jen. This week, uh, this year, I hung out with on Christmas Day. I hung out with a uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, and his girlfriend. I'm sorry, and Jason. What, what was that? No, I'm sorry, and, and Jen. I didn't say anything. And um, <laughs> and it was fun. We just hung out. We made a very nice meal. We opened presents. We went to Candy Cane Lane in Woodland Hills. Woodland Hill. I was there on Christmas Eve. Did you like it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's it's really sprawling. That's what, like, I feel like there's probably, like, a block that I missed somewhere. It's... Because there aren't, like, signs saying, turn this way or turn yeah, this way. There is a map you can that's, download. That's what I should have done. Yeah. That's what I should have done. Um, but it was great. This is a uh, only in L.A. type of thing, is that when we went on Christmas Eve, it was, like, roll your windows down weather. So, like, we're listening. We got Nat King Cole playing the Christmas hits, and then we're passing other people listening to Christmas songs, and people are like... Like kids are standing up out of like the sunroofs, like to look at the lights. And, yeah. Like uh, a lot of, I got to say Merry Christmas to a lot of kids and dogs because the windows were down. So that added like as silly as it is to people in other parts of the country, maybe to think like uh, to imagine you know driving around looking at Christmas lights with the windows rolled down and music playing. Uh, it added like a sort of communal feeling to it. Well, and we walked. We walked the. Uh, I, I, I the saw a lot of people it. doing that. And it really does. Uh, I went. I actually went twice uh this year because two different groups of people wanted to go uh-huh. um and the first time it was a, a little busier there were people like selling hot chocolate and uh, hot chocolate and cookies and stuff there was a funnel funnel cakes where i when i went oh we had ch- there are churros where Wait, i saw the churros as well yeah. there was a funnel cake uh, stand and a, ch- and a churro stand yeah. and it was just and it was very communal like you had kids they would wish us merry christmas and like yeah, yeah. and they were still into it and it was a lot of fun and so um so i, I had a good christmas by uh, by and large and it was just and it was small but that's okay because i was with people that i genuinely love and really, that's kind of you know, it's what it's all about. So, yeah, it was. A, I I just felt really positively about Christmas yeah. this year. And the last two years that I was home, um, uh, in in St. Louis, I had a good time. But both of those, there was a specter that um, to get a little personal, like. Uh, I need to be here for this Christmas because it might be my grandma's last. Uh, yes. And the most recent one did turn out to be my grandma's last Christmas, but yeah. both of the last two had that feeling to it. Yes. And so that kind of hung over it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this was, I, I think I got more into Christmas this year than I have in a long time. I listened to a lot more Christmas music. Uh, part of that is that I got a Spotify premium account now. And so ah. all the, music that is available on spotify is at the tip of my fingers oh my. so we got to listen we listened to some nat king cole mm-hmm. christmas some Temptations, some supremes um uh we listened to a, an album uh, uh by one of the many marsalises that was a uh, jazz it was called the new orleans christmas carol oh nice uh that was really fun i, I got really into christmas 
Well, I'll tell you what, have you ever seen, I, I think we mentioned, did I, okay, I've completely lost track of what we've talked about on the show this, at this point. Me too. Uh, so last week we talked about, you know, Christmas movies and stuff. And I think I talked about Muppet Christmas Carol, which I think is wonderful. Did I talk about the music in, Mupp- in Muppet Christmas Carol? I don't remember talking about the music. Okay. I, I but might I may not have, have just tuned you out. Um, fair enough. Uh, at this point in our, uh, podcast relationship, it's, <laughs> I don't listen to, I'm going to say about 75% of the things that you say. I tune in for mispronunciation of words <laughs> so that I can, so I can respond with a deep sigh. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, Paul Williams did the music okay. for it. Wasn't it. there a recent documentary about him? Was there? I don't know. Um, I could be thinking of someone else. You're thinking of the act of killing. <laughs> so, which admittedly he does show up in a lot uh, more than you would think. Yeah, you saw that, huh? I did see that. Yes, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Oh, good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I know of him as a singer songwriter in general, and then I know that he did the music for the Muppet movie, which has some wonderful music in it. You know, moving right along, and Paul Williams still alive is the name of the documentary from two years ago. All right, I feel like I would enjoy it because. Yeah. The music in Muppet Christmas Carol are, is like uniformly wonderful. When's the last time you watched that movie? Oh, probably middle school. Okay, it's, it's been a long time. The movie is a really great uh, uh, interpretation of a Christmas Carol, and the every one of those songs is really memorable and lots of fun. But anyway, um, so yeah, it's uh, what was that? Why was I saying? Oh yeah, just Christmas music and stuff like that. I I love Christmas music. There's a lot that I don't like. I do not like. I got a bit of a, not necessarily an argument, but I got into a disagreement with uh, my other co-host, Josh Long, because he loves the Beach Boys. And I like the Beach Boys, too. But I hate that song, Little St. Nick. Okay? <laughs> Partially because, as the, like, one of the recurring uh, lyrics is, Christmas comes this time each year. It's like, thanks. That lyric means nothing. Uh-huh. If you had said, Christmas comes but once a year, uh-huh. then that's, it's like, it's like hey, Enjoy it because right. it's only once a year. Christmas comes this time each year. It's literally just a statement of fact. Yeah. And that they repeat over and over again as though it's supposed to be meaningful in any way. I hate it so much, David. <laughs> and I just, because it's a waste, it's a waste of words. Let me tell you what I, that, One this could is, say this whole podcast is a waste of words. This isn't something that I hate, but in the song, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, which was one of my favorite Christmas songs, mm-hmm. um, it says, remember Christ, the Savior, was born on Christmas Day. And there's like the, I guess the part of me that wants to be like, well, like, there's no record that he's actually born in December. They kind of moved it yeah. to December to like, you know, steal some of the, the whatever, the, 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 the bloom off the, I guess, other celebrations around that I year. get it, like, Chris Matthews. <laughs> like, I don't know what the Christmas has to do with this. But uh, I always think about that like, well... Um, but here's the other thing, bring, speaking of God rest you, Mary gentlemen, we were listening, I mentioned we were listening to the Nat King Cole, mm-hmm. uh, uh, album. And one thing that I loved, my fiance hated is that when Nat King Cole sings God rest you, Mary gentlemen, he mm-hmm. says, Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. And I love that. And Natalie was like, no, thank you. I think I'm with her on this one. That one, I like Nat King Cole. Uh, Nat King Cole, he's a lot of fun. But uh, uh, that's something I was talking about with with Natalie. I, I usually don't say her name, but yeah, Natalie is my fiance. Um, more than any other singer, like more than Bing Crosby or Perry Como or whatever, mm-hmm. I associate Nat King Cole with with Christmas. Uh, that's very interesting. Bing Crosby is the one that I. Associate I think with a lot of people are, but I think I don't know my my. I think my 
my grandparents liked uh, Nat King Cole. Oh, okay, and that was what was, and that's where we we would have Christmas. Christmas Eve, we'd all go over to my grandma's house, and so Nat King Cole was usually playing on the I don't know on the hi fi or whatever. Um, and so that's that's the sound, the voice that I associate with Christmas more than any other. Well, and that's the thing. That's a function of voice. The musician that I associate most with Christmas is Vince Guaraldi. Uh, I listen to the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas yeah. album every year a lot. Mm-hmm. And that thing, there is not one wrong note on that whole uh-huh. album. It is great. Um, this is not actually what we were planning on talking no. about at the top of the show, and yet here we are. That said, last week I talked about how Die Hard is one of my favorite Christmas movies, and that seems like not a very Christmassy movie. Maybe my favorite Christmas song of all time is Merry Christmas, I Don't Want to Fight Tonight by the Ramones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, do you guys have tweakedaudio.com earbuds at home? I'm not talking to you. I'm not referring to you as you, you guys. You know I do. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you don't, um, look, don't tell anyone. You should have them by now, but I don't want to like embarrass you or anything. So just quietly go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension because that's where you get everything Tweaked Audio uh, has to or has to offer professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors that are. Mm-hmm. And I, I I always mention the variety. What I don't mention is that each one of the styles and colors is real sharp looking. Yeah, it's a real handsome set of earbuds. Yeah. So you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. You get everything they have to offer for one third off. And uh, no shipping charges. Mm-hmm. Do we have anything else? Uh, not this time. Week Next week. Okay. So real quick then, I, what I do want to say before we get into the topic, because we did have something I wanted to talk about okay. that we talked about off mic, oh, yeah. is that uh, here's what I, what I st- and this is what I started to say when I said it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the time of the year when I get to like try and cram and catch up on all the movies. There's a break in TV. There's not much TV on. Right. So I use that and and I get some days off work. So I use that time to try and cram on the year's movies. And part of it is like stressful for me, which is not, uh, which is something that I should work on in therapy that I put, uh, turn everything into a deadline. Yeah. The Um, other day I used the term have to. Yeah. Uh, And Jen was like, have to, what are you talking about? (laughs) It's your week off. Like, I I think you know this. I don't know if the listeners uh, know it, but, uh, when I'm really stressed, my hands, uh, kind of break out in hives a little bit. And, uh, usually when I have a vacation, they don't this week worse than they've been in a long time because I've putting, I'm putting so much pressure on myself to, to watch things. My calves ache when I'm stressed or if I'm not getting enough sleep. That's odd. Yeah. That always has been that way. All going back to like school, if there were like tests coming, it was like final time uh and uh i my calves ache i wonder if i wonder if like when you're stressed you're you just like tense up it must be it, in yeah. your in your calves specifically uh anyway, anyway move on but move what on. i was saying is that uh now tyler um I, I, I you are you are my best movie friend uh, uh <laughs> i'm gonna say that like as far as like talking about movies you're well, why is that uh, offensive? That's a. Good I don't compliment. think I don't think I like the qualifier. Well, my best friend is my fiance. Fair enough. Okay then. Okay. Obviously, um, and also you have closer friends than me. Uh, oh no no! There's no question. I have better friends than you. You don't have any better friends than me, aside from the one you're engaged to. Is that true? I don't know. I don't know if that's. It, it probably is true. I don't have a whole lot of friends, but that's again that's for my therapist. Um, <laughs> But I like I, to view the the podcast. Anybody who listens to my other show knows that I like to treat the podcast audience as though it were a therapist. I would <laughs> say a ther- sure they appreciate. I would that. say a therapist that's free, but boy, it is not free. No, it's not. Um, okay, but he, this is a there, there's a tough, there's a tricky thing this time of year because you and I 
the week uh, the week before the Oscars, we will do our episode of the top or our personal top tens. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, because I think it makes for a better show if there's a certain element of surprise to that. Because of that, like in our normal like conversations about what movies we've seen recently, I get a little cagey. Yeah, this time, this of, year. time of year. <laughs> Summer, it's like, hey, let's have this freewheeling conversation. This time of year, you get a little cagey. And to be honest, I do a little bit. And then I always feel bad that I'm like, oh, shoot, I already let the cat out of, out of the bag about what my favorite movie is. Now I can't surprise him. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've told you a couple of different favorite movies. Uh, it's changed. That's And that's another thing. I used to... I used to be more strict about like not changing my list around too much. You know, I'd sort of like base it on early impressions. Like I'd give myself a day or so and then I'd put it on the list and that's where it was. Yeah. I'm not really like that anymore. I'm much more free to change stuff around. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, you don't know what my favorite movie of the year is right now. Yeah. Uh, whereas you might have thought you did because I had said things recently. Uh, but, uh, Anyway, that's the, it. I just wanted to bring up that that uh, that awkwardness of talking about movies because I'm watching a bunch, and you're the person I talk to about the movies I've seen more than any other, yeah. and yet I have to like be sort of reserved. And well, how how much did he really like computer chess? That's what I, that's, like, that's what Tyler's thinking. I can't tell. Did he love computer chess, or did he did he just really like it? Well, and that's the thing is, uh, like last year when i did not know your number one and then when you said it it actually surprised me i thought it was going to be lincoln because you were raving about that but it turned out to be django unchained and we will talk about lincoln very soon yeah oh okay um and so so that's the thing while it's i'll say this while it is frustrating uh it's not even that frustrating while it's vaguely off-putting uh in real life as i also host a podcast two of them much like yourself and uh in the moment, it's like, well, I can't argue with him. I mean, yeah. it's, it's podcast fodder, and it's good podcast it fodder. It makes for be, a good show. To be surprised. Yeah. Um, especially, you know. Because there's always that fun moment, like, when we say what we're about to, like, when we do our top ten, like, all right, my number six is, and then either we get to talk about it, or it's like, hey, that's going to come up later. Yeah. Like, that's fun. Either way, it's 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 like, oh, it's going to come up later. That means this person uh, approves of me. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, that's enough bullshit. Um, let's get into it, shall we? Mm. I said Lincoln was going to come up, and... Uh, maybe the reason that Lincoln, because I think it was a movie that I, I watched multiple times last year. I, got, I was lucky enough to get a screener, and so I watched it uh, a lot because I really enjoyed watching it. But I never liked it anymore the more I watched it. You know, oh, I didn't okay. like it any less either. Yeah. It's just like, I watched you know, it you, once and I was like, that's really enjoyable. Yeah. That for two hours and 20 minutes or however long it is, it really flies yeah. by. Um, you just got the same thing over and over. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of like, I mean, I, Lincoln is essentially a two and a half hour uh episode of the west wing except set in the 1860s um and that's exactly what i enjoyed about it and sort of like i rewatch west wing episodes i can rewatch the movie lincoln but i never i never felt like uh, and this is the reason it didn't make the my list or even my honorable mentions last year was that i never felt like i got anything more out of it it seemed like a pretty surfacey movie yeah um which is uh, I'll have to watch it a second time before I know for sure, but is honestly kind of how I feel about 12 years a slave this year, that it's a very good movie. It's, it's less rewatchable than Lincoln because it's kind of hard to take mm-hmm. a lot, but I don't know that it has much to offer. Uh, and I'll have to watch it again to know, but I don't know that 12 years a slave has much to offer beyond the initial 
experience. We'll find out if I rewatch it. Yeah. But I, I, I would not be opposed by the way, uh, based on conversations I've had with other people. Um, the fact that you do not absolutely love 12, uh, 12 years a slave. Uh And I also do not absolutely love 12 years a slave, Uh though there are things, you know, individual things I love about it. Yeah. As a whole, I don't love it. Uh, that puts us very much in the minority. Sure. My, uh, are, are the very, are my very own online film critic society, hopefully soon to be your very own online film. Critics. We'll see. I got to write a little bit more within a, within a year. I'm sure. Um, voted at the number one movie of the year. Yeah. And it's just, and some, you know, a uh, uh, friend of the show and our, uh, one of our writers, uh, Scott and I, he thought, loved it, thought it was amazing. And that a lot of people we know really love it. Uh, but that's one where it's just, it's not often that we devote a whole episode to one movie. I would be willing to devote an episode to that movie sure. because there's so much stuff around it. Yeah. There's so much to the movie, yeah. good or bad, but then there's so much stuff around it. It is, it's one of those movies, and maybe we could devote a whole episode to this concept in general. It's, a, it's one of those movies that for a number of reasons you feel like you have to like. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And if you don't like it, sure. no one's going to say... In, okay, so... Or at least I'll, that I'll you just, have to see and have an opinion on, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And uh, and so it's it's one that I would like to uh, revisit, and perhaps sometime in the next couple months, because it is kind of the Oscar front runner right now, yeah. and it's in people's minds, and more people are going to see it as a result. Um, maybe we can do that sometime in the next couple months. I, I like that. Idea. If so, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I have uh, this is the last thing I'll say about Twilight of Life. I have almost no actual problems with it. I just didn't love it. The only real problem I have is that if it weren't for the title, there's no way it feels like it takes 12 years. And yeah. I think that is a detriment that the movie feels yeah. like it takes place over a, a couple of years, three at most. It's hard to do. The more I think about it, I mean, when's the last time you watched The Godfather? It's been, that's actually been a long time. All right. Maybe college, actually. That's one where, I mean, Michael is in Italy f- for a while and then, you know, you know car explodes and then it cuts back to he's walking down the street uh-huh. with a car following him with k uh and then she says how long have you been back and he says i've been back a year like the like the godfather takes place over a few years uh-huh. it feels like three months you know and yeah that's the thing it's really hard to convey long passages of time yeah um Unless that's what the movie is about. Do you know the first season of HBO's Rome takes place over like nearly a decade? Uh, No, I did not know that. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? But I go the other, I go the other, the other way too. Okay. So that one, that's 10 years. Uh It doesn't feel like it feels like, I don't know, three weeks. Um, (laughs) Oh, that's yeah. yeah. And the first season of True Blood takes place over like two and a half weeks. Yeah. And Lost, don't they say that each episode's like a day? Uh, for the first like four seasons that, that pretty much works out. Yeah. Okay. And then it gets now, into time travel and stuff. When you say it works out, you mean that that's the theory? Yeah. Yeah. You're it doesn't it work out. Longer? It feels much longer. Huh. Uh, and like, and that's the thing is I didn't, for the first probably three seasons, I didn't watch it week by week. I watched it. I like I binge watched it uh-huh. on DVD. If I, if I was going to get that feeling, that's how I'm going to get it. And uh, I didn't get it at all. One thing I'd love to do, and you could only do this with the first four seasons of Lost, is actually watch it over 108 days. Like, that's how many days they're on the island. That would be uh, fun. I guess it's a spoiler that they get off the island at the end of season four. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, obviously there's two more seasons, so you don't know what happens after that. Yeah. Um, 
I would like to watch the first four seasons over the course of 108 days and try and like see if it actually feels like uh, the right amount of time. I want to do. Yeah, that sounds like fun. And then I'm sure a number of people, you and I, when we watched the first season of 24, and then I stopped <laughs> watching after that. Uh-huh. Um, we watched it over the course of like a week, right? Maybe two. Probably. Um, and uh, we thought like we should start at like midnight and just go the 24 yeah. hours. And people have done it. Yeah. Yeah. And just. And in that moment, you realize, like, this couldn't possibly all happen in 24 hours. It is impossible. Yeah. And especially that first season that starts at midnight. Like, he's already been awake all day. Right. When it starts. Yeah. And then he's awake another day. Like, at least the second season starts at 8 a.m. Yeah. Uh, what I always thought would be funny, like, if, if an absolute, ins- if just a maniac just became, just started running the network and he just, but like a logic minded maniac uh-huh. who has no sense of the concept of entertainment. He's like, all right, the first four hours he's just asleep <laughs> and then he wakes up and he's got to jump into action. Uh, but you can have other stuff happening. Like, like, Mo- the, like the terrorist stuff is going on and they keep cutting back to Jack Bauer. Just- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, Jack. Ba- oh, he's just going to the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, we are off topic already. Okay. But you know what? Uh, talking about the passage of time, we're, d- we're done with Lincoln. Okay. Uh, or at least I am. Um, oh, I, I was done time. with it. The movie that got me thinking about this topic, and by the topic, by the way, we haven't said what it is, right. is how, how your opinion of movies changes over repeat viewings. Um, and the movie that got me thinking about this topic was, as I mentioned, I saw Inside Lewin Davis yesterday. And mm-hmm. I had already seen it at AFI Fest um, back in mid-November. Um, so... Here we are about six weeks later. I'm watching it again. And I, uh, as you might remember um, from uh, my from our discussion uh, with Scott uh, on the show, I really liked Inside Lewin Davis when I saw it at AFI Fest. I love it after having seen it a second time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that passage of time thing is um, something that uh, if we did, uh, you know, like if we did like slash film style, like a spoiler section because there's mm-hmm. stuff about inside lewin davis i don't want to say for right. people who haven't who haven't seen it so i'll be i'll be cagey here to use that word again um but the movie does take place over the course of about a, of about a week yeah. if you're being literal but i think the coen brothers intentionally make it feel like this could take place over six months yeah they, they I mean, or i guess or, or at least over the course of a winter because it's winter the whole time yeah like it really does feel like it could take place you you buy that like oh yeah it's been about seven days but it feels like it could be a lot longer and i think that's in, that's intentional because yeah that's it, part of the point of it and he even, because it speaks to how sort of lost uh in lewin is and how um he tends to uh, repeat the same mistakes over and over again and yeah. that he might be in a sort of almost like he's in a sort of uh limbo existential like limbo at like, some point the character himself even loses track of time and just says like <laughs> yeah oh yeah it felt longer but i guess it was only a couple of days <laughs> yeah yeah um, and, and so, uh, and, and, and that sort of thing lines like that. And there are also, um, well, again, I can't get into spoilers. There's some things that Max Casella says in his small role that make you think about what has happened over the course of this week. Um, that I noticed more the second time, knowing, knowing that the movie takes place over a week, mm-hmm. um, and knowing the relationship between the first scene and the last scene. Again, I'm being trying to be spoiler free here. Yeah. Um, it it really enriched my experience seeing it the second time. I was able to pick up on stuff, and I look forward to watching it a third and fourth and eighth and twelfth time uh, in the years to come. Uh, and so that's that's why I wanted to do this topic to talk about how how rewatching movies changes your opinion of them. And part of that is 
uh, now inside Lewin Davis, I'm talking about six weeks, but then there are some movies like, uh, well, I've been thinking a lot, it being the Christmas season about love actually, mm-hmm. which I think I saw a couple times back when it, when it was new and yeah. I haven't seen since. And, um, this would be a different thing. Cause when I watched it before, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it since I like, since I watched it and liked it, but I have the feeling looking back on it now that if I were to rewatch it, I would not like love actually nearly as much as I did at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, so part of it is, th- so the, there's two different things we're talking about here that, that you learn more about a movie, both good and bad when you watch it, but also over time you change. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what do you have to say about this topic or any examples? Uh, I agree with it. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, when you, when you brought it up, all, a lot of questions came to mind and they're questions that in various other capacities we've asked um for example uh, i think it was the last time amy nicholson was here we talked about uh, spoilers uh-huh, and okay. uh, and that sort of thing um and spo- and as we were talking about that we tended to talk about twist endings and, and that sort uh-huh, of thing uh-huh. um and it got me thinking there are movies like let's say sixth sense usual suspects you know uh not so much a cry, not not so much the crying game, but uh, Usual Suspects, by the way, is another one that I have not seen in a long time, and I feel like I wouldn't like it as much. Like it feels like it's is maybe a little smug. Let's put a pin in that, and we'll get <laughs> okay. we'll get back to it. Um, but uh, but th- those are oh Psycho. We'll do Psycho as well. Um, those are movies that uh, you can rewatch, and the second time is of course going to be a hundred percent different the first time, and so. And my que- I guess the question that I was asking, that I was starting to ask, um, and maybe I'm asking the wrong question by by incorporating the word wrong, uh, the words wrong or right. <laughs> but um, I are there movies that sort of require you by the very nature, by the way they're made, whether it be tone or plot development or a twist or something like that, that sort of require you to see it a second time or a third time? Um, well, you know. And if so, where, where the filmmakers, it's like, you know, I, I packed so much in that you really got to see it a few times in order to, ca- to, to catch everything. And so my question is, I have no doubt that there are films out there like that and filmmakers who make them with that in mind. Uh, and so my question is, is that wrong of them to think in those terms? Not merely because it's, it could be viewed as disrespectful of the audience's time. And, yeah. I see what you're saying about, uh, like, is it right or wrong, that be not being the right question, because it is, like, there is no right or wrong. Yeah. It's up to the director. Um, I don't think it's necessarily smart to do a movie. You should do, like, what the Coens do, not just in Inside Lewin Davis, but in pretty much all their movies, is they make a movie that is 100% satisfying if you only see it once, and then has many more layers yeah. uh, for you to uncover if you watch it multiple times, but still it it works once you know yeah. whereas something like a movie from last year that i considered the, i said it was the most underrated movie of the year cloud atlas i think maybe a fault of the movie is that the wachowskis and tom tickver want you to to revisit this yeah. movie and think about it uh having already already seen it and i think that that's part of what makes that movie um a kind of a singular experience and something that i think is uh 
important cinematically, but I don't know that it's necessarily the smartest move. Now, as far as twists, I'll talk about, okay, Sixth Sense, as much as we rag on in that Shyamalan now, the Sixth Sense holds up, I think, 100%. Uh, even today and even knowing the twist. I have only seen it once. Really? Uh, in the I've theater seen, the day it came out. Oh, I've seen it multiple times. I have the DVD. I'll lend it to you at any at any point. Um, uh, oh, do you have it? I guess so. Um, um, I don't see it. No, I don't. Okay, I guess we. I guess I don't have it. Oh, wait. Is that it between 16 Candles and uh, Sky Captain? Oh, I, I can't see what that is. No, that's the skulls. The skulls. You do have the skulls. Yeah. You don't have the Sixth Sense, but you do have the skulls. Right. Um, but uh, another one, this might be, I know this is a bit of an unpopular opinion among among uh, young contemporary cineasts, but uh, Park Chan-wook's Old Boy, I rewatched it recently um, in anticipation of the remake, which I never ended up seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, have you seen the original? I have Old not. Boy? Not yet. Uh, you, you should totally see it. It's great. But the that twist is such a gut punch. It's so devastating that I think knowing the twist did hurt the movie the second time around. Um, it's still a very enjoyable experience. Park Chan-wook has a, um, uh, he has a visual sense of humor that I think, uh, it, not enough films have it's something that Edgar Wright has that we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's trying to make you laugh just by how he's cutting the movie or where he's putting the camera and stuff like that. Uh, and I think it's especially bold for Park Chan-wook to do in a movie that isn't necessarily a comedy, mm-hmm. but has a lot of comedic elements. There's a lot to love about Old Boy, yeah. but I do think the movie suffers for knowing what the twist is. Yeah, and I'll, I'll I will now bring Usual Suspects back into the mix um, because a conversation that we were having, like I said, this is stuff that in some way, shape, or form we've covered elsewhere. Um, a lot of the points that I was thinking of. Um, the uh, in the recent uh, episode with uh, Wayne Fetterman, we talked about uh, a movie being rewatchable, or is it a movie you feel like okay, I I got it the first time, and it was only sort of been, it was meant to be watched, not necessarily once, but it's not necessarily meant to stick with you, and it's not. There's nothing about it that is meant to lure you back into watching it. Usual Suspects is a movie that I think works best the first time you see it there is enough style and enough fun to that when you watch it again you can enjoy it but the inherent like holy shit Uh you know especially because they give you a false twist and then a real one which i think is kind of a work of genius on the part of uh, christopher mcquarrie um by saying that it's keaton it's kaiser soze and then it's the other one and the fact that they did not let the actors in on that um because Gabriel Byrne in a in an interview later said like I thought I was Kaiser Soze, <laughs> you know, which is kind of awesome. But uh, there's there's a lot to like about Usual Suspects, but it is one of those things that once you have processed the uh, the twist and you return to it, you can appreciate it. But then you're just like, these are all lies. Now, of course, movies themselves are lies, but you're supposed to be brought into a brought into the reality of the film, but now you know that this isn't the reality um, and it's frustrating to you. And so like it's, but you, you can still kind of hang your hat on the characters and the dialogue and the style, but the film itself, it actually winds up kind of lacking a little bit the second time you see it. Other people might think differently, uh, but that's my opinion. 
Uh, it, you mentioned Christopher McQuarrie, and that brings up another movie that I was going to bring up, and that you and the listeners might be sick of me bringing up. But it's The Way of the Gun, which oh, okay. is one of the most rewatchable movies. Thought you were going to say Jack Reacher. Uh, no, that's also a really. I, I look forward to rewatching Jack Reacher. Um, mm-hmm. But um, The Way of the Gun is uh, when we did our episode about like movies we feel like we get more than other people. The Way right. of the Gun was kind of my number one. Like I feel like. Even people who like it don't get how amazing this movie is. Yeah. Because uh, it's one I can watch over and over and over again and always feel like I get something different. I think part of that is Christopher McQuarrie intentionally responding to the usual suspects. And I think, like, we talked about M. Night Shyamalan, who um, I think he got for too many films locked into the idea that he has to, yeah. he has to like, you know, sucker punch you at the end or, 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 or come at you, you know to make a big left turn at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Christopher McQuarrie wrote the, the, wrote the way of the gun, knowing people know him as the writer of the usual suspects. And he's just going to fuck with us for two hours. Yeah. And we're never quite sure when he's fucking with us and when he isn't. <laughs> that, that's one of the great things about the way of the gun is like, how seriously am I supposed to be taking the things that are happening here? Cause it has a deadly serious tone and then a darkly comedic tone. And then it'll be sort of, ponderous and seem like it's being really metaphorical and then will again just be really silly uh it's uh it's a movie that you kind of i it's you know we talked last week before we started the show about like knowing who you're recommending a movie to Mm -hmm. i think i would only recommend the way of the gun to people who are sophisticated movie viewers because uh it is playing so much on your expectations of what a movie is and what a crime movie in the 90s is uh that 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 that's a part of the viewing experience and appropriately it came out at the like in 2000 when it was no longer the 90s (laughs) um yeah uh uh, remind me to get to uh get back to uh, expectations in a moment but i will say that yeah and that's the kind of the neat thing about usual suspects and, and way of the gun is that usual suspects is a film that ultimately is totally style over substance which is not a bad thing um but then way of the gun is style used to disguise substance because there's a lot going on there and it's not merely style nor is it merely him just playing with the genre Mm -hmm. there's like actual character stuff going on there um and substance can be more than just character arc but there's there's a lot going on and so uh so yeah he does seem to be uh playing on his own uh his own image even though he got that image from one movie Uh um yeah and so okay so here we have another th- thing that I thought of when you texted this topic to me. Uh-huh. And I feel like I haven't adequately, we haven't adequately like explored the other things, but they, they all kind of work out together. Um, when you watch them, this is one of the advantages to watching a movie twice or three times, or in my case with Jaws, like probably 50, <laughs> um, is that when you first watch it, you walk in with all kinds of expectations. You expect certain things of the lead actor, certain things of the screenwriter, certain mm-hmm. things of the director, certain things of the genre, certain things of the time. Like you walk in with so many expectations and that's not even including uh, the publicity of the film. You know, if you've yeah. seen the trailer, you walk in with that. Yeah. And then by the end of the movie, those expectations, you might still have them, but hopefully you have shed them and you are only you now only have the film to compare it to. You, you're comparing it to itself. And so when you watch it again, those expectations are gone. You know that those – that it either lived up to them or, or mm-hmm. it subverted them mm-hmm. or whatever. You know that already. Yeah. So when you walk in, 
now I have a question. Okay. Uh-huh. When you walk in, you're walking in expecting only what the film has to offer, knowing full well what it has, what it has offered already. Mm-hmm. First time you watch in with a, you walk in with a bunch of uh, expectations. Which one, in your opinion, David, is the purer viewing experience? That's that's really hard to say because the 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 uh, I, I feel like we're using almost all like somewhat recent or at least last twenty years examples, yeah. but I guess that's just the way it goes. But the example that le- leapt to mind for me was the was Twenty One Jump Street, uh, w- w- because it was from the directors of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which is a movie that I went into with almost no expectations. I don't remember reading the book as a child; I didn't know much about it, and it blew me away because mm-hmm. I thought it was so incredibly inventive. Uh, and funny, and it had this this uh, fantastically like breakneck pace uh, that it that it maintained throughout. And there was there wasn't a there, I, I still maintain there's not a weak spot in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Mm-hmm. And highlight, but, of course, being the guy pulling his beard off. <laughs> yeah, or the one that uh, um, uh, my fiance and I often like reference is. Uh, when he says uh, the first wave, he's like of of food that fell. He said, you know, compared to what's coming, that was just an amuse bouche. And you hear like the crowd go, <gasps> and then someone go, "What's an amuse bouche?" <laughs> um, so every time, like we watch a lot of Food Network, every time the word amuse bouche comes up, now and I say, "What's an amuse bouche?" Anyway, um, so Twenty One Jump Street was a disappointment to me when I first saw it, right? Um, and uh, which, which you know, I saw it in the theater, and then. Um, I guess months after when it was available, like uh, to you know rent or whatever, uh, uh, or, or watch on demand or whatever, um, my fiance rented it and I came home and she was watching it and I sat down and watched like most of it with her and really really enjoyed it mm-hmm. and I've since you know caught bits when it's on HBO or whatever and really enjoyed it and so I still feel like I'm sticking with my initial reaction that it's not uh, that great a movie yeah but. Because I know that I'm able to enjoy it more, mm-hmm. I feel the same way about The Departed. Like I, you know, I, and that's the you know the thing we we talked about. I think this is what we talked about with Wayne Fetterman. Like some movies that are great are very difficult to rewatch yeah. because they're so difficult to sit through. You know, emotionally they put you through the ringer or whatever. Like you know, obviously Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is one that comes up. Uh, yeah. Probably one of the best movies in the 90s, but I, I've seen it twice and I'm done for a lifetime. I thought that was the uh, 80s, late 80s. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe. I thought it was like 90 or 91, but you, you could be right. Um, uh, the opposite of that is movies that we know aren't that great, but are watchable. Yeah. And The Departed is a movie that I won't go to bat for, but that I own on DVD and have revisited because it's a it's a perfectly pleasant way to pass two and a half hours. Uh, yeah. And, and, and uh, so uh, I, I guess I'm not going to – to answer your question, I think – And I don't know if there is an answer. I'm just kind of putting it out yeah, there. Yeah, I would say that I'm more likely to stick with my first impression, but um, – you know what? That's not even true. I think I'm more likely to stick with my first impression if it's negative. Okay. Um, and I don't know that that's right either because um, as we talked about, I guess it's been a while a while now, but um, after years, almost a decade of me saying that the Kill Bill movies weren't any good, I rewatched them and loved them. Yeah. Uh, so I, could, I can be wrong. 
Um, but I still think, uh, yeah, I'm more likely to stick with, and this is just me, my, my personality, more likely to stick with my first impression if I don't like a movie and I'm uh, more likely to stick with later impressions if I like a movie more on repeat viewings, I guess. And that's, I guess there's, there's a slight difference between me like finding more in Inside Lewin Davis and then being okay with 21 Jump Street. Yeah. That, that's the difference. I'm not finding – it's not like I found more in 21 Jump Street the second time I watched it. I was just ready for where – what level I needed to be at. Well, and I'll tell you. Here's – ever since Gran Torino of all movies, I have been fascinated by the notion of everything surrounding the movie – dictating how we view the movie now what was surrounding gran torino uh dirty harry okay the that character and that's the thing so everything surrounding the movie and then sometimes a filmmaker choosing to capitalize on that knowing full well the expectation we're bringing in like christopher mcquarrie like like Christopher McQuarrie, like clint eastwood with gran torino a movie that i think is not that good but i loved it precisely because Everything about its advertising, everything about the story that it was telling in itself seemed like, here we go. And, <laughs> and the fact that Clint Eastwood chose to play the part himself, not unlike Unforgiven, uh, but this one even more so than like The Man With No Name, like Dirty Hair. That could be – a number of actors could have played The Man With No Name. Uh-huh. Dirty Harry was 100 percent Clint Eastwood. Yes, other characters could have played him, but like he talks more. He just – and just that there's so much – here's the thing. There's like – there's so much more to the man with no name trilogy than merely that character. Whereas dirty, dirty Harry, it's basically just the character. Um, no offense to, I forget who directed it. I've actually um, never seen any of the dirty Harry. I've only seen the first one. It's interesting. Uh, How many are there? There's, I think there's like sudden impact is one, right? I think there's like four or five. I don't remember. I, I would have said there were two, but then, uh, somebody recently mentioned that there were several. Um, but anyway, so, he was capitalizing on that image and then totally subverting it, making a film talking about self-sacrifice rather than vengeance and peace rather than violence. And I was so fat. It's like, that's right. Movies don't exist in a vacuum. We uh-huh. walk in with just a head full of we keep using the word expectations, but so I'll, I'll use it again, a head full of expectations. And if a filmmaker knows that, then, and then uses that, then like that's to me, that's vaguely genius. Uh-huh. Also, it might, it might be completely rudimentary. <laughs> um, I'm not really sure, <laughs> but, um, but ever since then I have started thinking about all these other, th- all these other things. And when you see a movie the first time, like I said before, I'm repeating myself. When you see the movie the first time, you have all those things. You see the movie the second time, you only have the film itself. Um, and so when I asked you which is the pure movie-going experience, I don't know if there is an answer. I don't uh, – because – I don't – maybe the – I don't know. If, if I was pressed to say one, I think maybe the first one because people like you – okay – People like you and me. Mm-hmm. And, and people like you and me. They yeah, listen to the show. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. You know, a few thousand at least. <laughs> um, well done. Uh, 
Although I have to assume we lost a few after that joke, right? Um, <laughs> so, but like people like you and me, we're going to we're going to uh, rewatch movies that we like, uh, probably. Yeah. And in doing so, like I, I, my favorite movie last year was The Master. That was after one viewing. I, ha- I own it. I haven't watched it yet because oddly enough, I haven't quite been in the mood. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure when I watch it again, th- I'll see more or maybe I'll see less. I get the impression it'll be the, the former. Right. But, um, but most people, they can barely, uh, you know, get off their tractors to go see uh, five movies a year in the theater. That's <laughs> I'm I'm quoting Futurama. I'm sorry, oh. um, but uh, and so there's certainly there's a, maybe maybe like three or four movies that like the average person. I'm not demeaning them. Mm-hmm. People don't think movies are as important as you and I do. So that's that's fine. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's a bad thing. So there are maybe four or five movies in the world that an average moviegoer will re will, will be willing to rewatch. Mm-hmm. Most of the time. The first viewing is the one they've got. And so, like, I feel like maybe that is the the pure one. I have – okay, there's so many things you brought up that I want to respond to. Yeah. I'm going to do it real quick. Um, and again, I do, I'm not sure how much confidence I have in what I just said. Okay, so the one thing I want to talk about real quick is this is a bit off topic. Uh, and Maybe in the future it might be a topic on its own. Okay. I think – I think Gran Torino would have a better reputation if it had been made. If it weren't, if Clint Eastwood, if the same movie were made by, say, a first-time director, mm-hmm. I think it would be, it would have a much better reputation. Uh, and I think that's part of people's expectations. Again, yeah, that's a different topic. Um, now, what was the last thing you said? Uh, okay, yes, I want uh, remind me to get back to comedy and how that changes uh, over multiple viewings. Mm-hmm. That's something I had been wanting to talk about since before we started the episode. Okay. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, how other people's opinions of a movie change y- your opinion. Because mm-hmm. um, one of those movies that people always say is, that, you know, oh, if it's on TV, I got to watch it, um, is is Goodfellas. And uh, um Tom Sharpling, former host of the best show on WFMU, which recently ended its 13-year run. R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. best show. But as he said, it's not, you know, the best show was ended, but he's not done. Yeah. That's, I look forward to what Tom Sharpling has, has to offer. But he has on multiple occasions on, the, on that show talked about Goodfellas and how, like, uh, I guess that he has to sort of, like, remind himself that it's a great movie, even though a bunch of, in his words, dum-dums like it for the wrong reason. <laughs> um uh, and does, so does that change your perception of a film if you feel like people are enjoying it wrong? Well, Big Lebowski. <laughs> right. uh, it is unfortunate that, we're, that we are uh, talking about movies that are um, fairly recent. Um, it's something that I've been kind of aware of lately. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. but that's the thing. There, I am much more likely to have seen more recent movies because – Chances are, I mean, I saw Big Lebowski, for example, when I was 16. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, but I don't think I maybe got everything in it. And so, whereas if I'm watching Night of the Hunter, I probably watched it a little bit later in life mm-hmm. when I was more prone to wanting, you know, to wanting to, uh, more prone to maybe getting a stronger impression of it the first time out. Um, but anyway, although I guess I saw that when I was 17, so that's a bad example. Um, uh, yeah, that will sometimes have an impact. Sometimes it's, it can be that a movie that I didn't really like, but enough of my friends and people that I respect really responded to it 
that it's just like, you know what? I guess I'll have to revisit it. Sometimes the visiting it again changes my view, but usually not very much. Um, but as far as far as the the circumstance that you've put out there, which is the the dum dums, <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's hard it's hard to say. I don't think. Do, uh, do you think it like when you say it changes? my opinion do you mean like upon a second viewing like i watch it again and then i see i kind of see it through their eyes not, not even no not even on second view just on reputation like I've, I've already seen a lot of people being um uh cautious i guess or or uh not sure what the other word is that i almost said um about the wolf of wall street for the same reason that mm-hmm. um it will appeal exactly to the people that it's theoretically flaying or skewering yeah um, for the wrong reasons, and I addressed that in my review actually. Uh, and um, I think it's I think that's something that it is natural for those of us who like the type of people who listen to this podcast who know more about movies. Mm-hmm. I think it's there's a sort of reflex snobbery or just a reflex of expertise to say that um, we. You know, we don't get a movie, or we get a movie more than than someone else does. And sometimes I find myself um, having to remind myself that I don't that I don't hate a movie, you know, or or that I don't, uh, you know, I like with Twelve Years a Slave to go back to something we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I really thought it was a very good movie. And as I usually do after I've seen a movie, I go to Rotten Tomatoes and I'll read a bunch of different reviews from from critics that I like. Um, and so many of them were so positive that I started to, I had to remind myself, I don't hate 12 years of slave. I really like it. I just don't like it as much as these people. Yeah. There are some people that like, if, unless you love literally 100% a plus (laughs) love a movie, you're just like, I guess I'm some kind of, uh, some kind of troll, uh, you know, just, uh, I think that's just a natural response for a lot of people, especially those of us who are in the know. Uh, or have a, a sort of, uh, you know, have have earned some expertise to to react against the reactions of people who don't get it as much. No. I think that's something we have to we can forgive to a certain extent, but we have to try and work out of our yeah. out of ourselves. Um, yeah, and we we do need to be careful about like talking about because there. While I'm seldom more comfortable than when I'm talking about how other people will take a movie, uh-huh. um, as opposed to me, obviously, <laughs> um, it's uh, we got to be careful about that because you never. I'm trying not to be overly insulting, but this is ba- this is based on what we have heard and what we've read about how often people see movies, and in what regard, and this is also based on people that I've talked to who view movies as important. In the sense that entertainment is important and that's it. And they just move on from there. Um, but mm-hmm. it's not like life-changing. It doesn't really you know, uh, affect them personally any more than they let it um, and that sort of thing. But um, but anyway, so uh, I'm trying to think if there are any – so uh, wh- when, you, when you set up the, the topic, um, one of the things that you mentioned was the idea of you change – yeah, like yeah. right now we're talking – we've been talking just about – just sort of academically, when you watch a movie twice, inherently there's different things going on, you know, just because you're able to filter things out, whatever. Um, 
second time, the, the other thing you were talking about is when you change as a person. And like my Kill Bill example, which had a lot to do with yeah. my ignorance about the, about martial arts movies. Thank you for bringing that up because now I'm excited to because <laughs> I, I thought of something in that moment uh, when, and I, I forgot. So thank you for bringing that up again. Because um, here's an, here's a situation where I did not care for Death Proof, which I still haven't uh, seen. I, I don't think I would like it more now, but maybe I would. I don't know. But that's the thing. Uh, I wonder. The man, there are like three points that I want to make, and I worry <laughs> if I make. I, I worry. One. I worry if I make any one, I'll forget the others. Yeah. Um. So I'll first. I'll first say that. Uh. Is it is it a function of mar- of seeing more martial arts films or having an appreciation for the genre that changed the way you see Kill Bill, or is it the fact that he so he so committed himself to exploring genre in Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained? That you now sort of retroactively oh, that might be part of it. Look at his his stuff. That the fact in okay in both Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained, he made um, things that are unabashedly trashy genre movies, mm. uh, but that are also um, have uh, have great depth and uh, hold up to re- repeat viewings and have a lot to say about the human condition or whatever. You know, like this is again a bit off topic and maybe is a topic on its own. But um, you and I have talked about how there's uh, universality and specificity. Yes. But it can go it can go the other way, where someone like Quentin Tarantino or recently Lee Daniels with The Butler, a movie that I saw fairly recently and really, really liked, uh, where blowing it up to cartoonish proportions actually helps you get at at at, at some truth. Yeah, it's the nature um, of satire. Yeah. Um, so Not I think, that those movies are necessarily satire. But, but it's, yeah. it's the same general principle. I, 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 yeah, I knew what you meant. Um, so yeah, that might be part of it, that that having seen uh, both uh, Inglorious Bastards and Django um, helped me uh, go back into Kill Bill thinking, hey, maybe there's something here. Yeah. Um, but uh, and, then, and then another part of it is that I... Uh, developed more of an interest in martial arts movies um but not even that in particular because it's not like i became a martial arts aficionado there's still it's still a largely a blind spot for me Mm -hmm. um but i think i just became my view of what cinema can be became more open between the times i initially saw the kill bill movies and when i rewatched them uh, earlier this year Mm -hmm. uh that something being sort of ridiculous essentially yeah uh doesn't make it bad um you know i mean god god help me if i had seen lee daniels the butler when i was 18 oh yeah i would have hated it yeah no because i would not have gotten um did you see it i forget no not okay. yet but you know lee, lee daniels so you know I, what I i'm talking about very much so. um i would not have had the my my cinema viewing mind would not have been elastic enough to make room for what Lee Daniels does. If I had seen his movies, even when I was into college, you uh, haven't seen Paperboy, have you? I haven't seen the Paperboy. I want to see. I it. believe it's on Netflix. Okay, I, think, I, I think, think you it. can watch it. I'm um, intrigued to know what you would. My think. fiance hated it, so that was kind of a deterrent. But I also kind uh, of hated it. <laughs> but I do really want to see it because I find him, and, and I want. I haven't seen Shadow Boxer either. Uh, oh, no, the first I. one that he did, yeah. I, or I, that I think that I know of. Um, so it's it's both things. It's it's both being more familiar with the director of Kill Bill and yeah. just being. Um, I'll use the word again because I liked it. Being more elastic in my yeah. um, uh, allowance of what cinema can be, and the fact that you know 
almost 10 years went by between first and second viewing yeah. makes a big difference because in the moment, you know, you watch it in theaters and suddenly you're like, what the hell is he doing? The last thing he did was the subtle, brilliant Jackie Brown. Now he's doing this cartoonish, in some cases, quite literally cartoonish, ridiculous thing. What the hell is he doing? 10 years later, you realize, oh, he's entered a new phase in his career. And he's doing something different now. Yeah. He's exploring genre. Man, that's uh, we should be writing these down because that's another topic. Yeah, that I like. Um, so this will be a bit of a tangent, but uh, Jason Reitman's Labor Day uh, will have just come out by the time you're hearing this. It hasn't come out yet at the time of recording, but um, or in limited release. I'm not sure in most parts of the country you may not be able to see it yet. Um, I think people who are fans of Jason Reitman will go to Labor Day, and I think many of them will hate it. I think. Um, years from now, looking back, when you're not waiting two years in either direction for a mm-hmm. Jason Reitman movie, and you consider Labor Day in the spectrum of his of his whole career, yeah. it will be an oddity, a one-off. It's, it's still, I'm not saying it's a good movie. It's not a very good movie. Yeah. But um, I think that movie's going to be in for a lot more vitriol than it deserves, because I do think there's something very interesting about Labor Day. And, uh, uh, again, that gets back to your point of, um, uh, you know, uh, of, of not having the context of knowing where the director, uh, is going with his, with his yeah. career. And, and so there's another question, you know, so two months went by, uh, not even two months, one month between viewings of Inside Lewin Davis, right? Roughly? About six weeks. Yeah. Okay. Um, as opposed to the 10 years uh-huh. for the Kill Bill films. Um, it was, I guess, eight and nine years, respectively. Okay, fair enough. Um, and so, you know, it's... I'm trying to think in terms of, like, how to how to formulate this into a, into a question, but, you know, it's... Sorry, I'm I, like my mind is going so many places because this topic has uh, unleashed things that I was not <laughs> expecting. Um, but uh, so you've got six weeks worth of personal change uh, between viewings of Inside Lewin Davis as yeah. opposed to eight to nine years, and that's not merely change in in who you are as a person, but also the things that you've seen. Uh-huh. Um. And so I guess I was just more than anything, I guess I was just calling attention to the fact that, you know, a second viewing in a way one could make the argument that inside Lewin Davis, that was definitely a second viewing. You get eight, nine years out. That's kind of a second first viewing. Yeah. Yeah. Is that like, is that a fair thing to say? I mean, even if you remember a lot of stuff from the first time. Like, you're not going to remember everything. Yeah, and... that's true. There are certain parts. I mean, like, uh, you know, Lucy Liu's speech to the, like, all the Yakuza members after she cuts off the guy's head. Yeah. I didn't remember that at all. From really? The, from oh, the, man. And that's, it's my favorite part of the whole movie now. Uh, and it's my favorite thing that Lucy Liu has ever done in her entire career. And I'm, uh, and I'm a fan of Lucy Liu. Have you watched Elementary? I watched the pilot and I liked it. I want to watch it. I hear it's it has good. a good reputation. Yeah. Goba likes it. Not that, that necessarily uh, means I will like it, but... Uh, yeah, he's just liked know. some stuff before. Yeah. Um, oh, here's the other question I was going to ask. Oh. And I guess this... I keep getting distracted by this idea of external things influencing. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about, actually. Okay. So, yeah, you go first. And we'll stick with Kill Bill. Okay, well, I'm going to get back to Inside Lewin Davis okay. and Nebraska. 
Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, so that's one where in between your first and second viewings of both films, you, you just, you got, you, you acquired an appreciation for an entire genre or subgenre that he was directly referencing. Uh huh. Yeah. Now, and this, I guess this goes back to the idea of, of, is it right or is it uh, maybe maybe the word is practical? Is it artistically practical for a filmmaker to assume that people will do that? Like when you make a movie that is that specific, not that he's necessarily going for a huge audience or anything like that. And, you know, you're going to make the movie you're going to make and that's fine. But like when you're making something that is that directly referential to a specific thing that maybe not a lot of people are uh, not a lot of people are familiar with. Um, you know, it's entirely possible. You could have gone your entire life hating those first two, those, those Kill Bill movies because you never, you never, first off, you never became interested in in martial arts films. And even if you did, you chose not to view the film a second time. Um, but you have to remember that. Not not everyone who like I'd say most of the people who like the Kill Bill movies aren't that well versed in martial arts. Part of it is just was just me. Fair enough. Uh, you know, um, but I do want to like I, I I I like to view you as kind of a just a good surrogate for the viewing masses. Um, but like I said, you know, I went back and watched Kill Bill. I'm really looking forward to. I've been saying this for a year now, at least if not more. I really want to go back and watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, mm-hmm. another movie that I did not like when it came out. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of the same reasons, it, specifically because it's martial arts, but also in a more general sense, I don't think I was willing to tolerate people dancing on branches, you know, and like flying through the air and stuff like that. I don't think I had, I I, I just didn't have, uh, I'll use the word again, the elasticity to okay. allow for that. Here's a uh, question, okay. and it might change the subject a little bit. Or, well, I have... Okay, you go ahead. You're uh, going to talk about a couple movies. Um, I still have... And I still want to get back to the comedy thing, too. But as far as... Okay, that actually might enter into my question. Well, first off, the, as far as the external things, um, and we'll go back to therapy again. Um, one of the things I've been working on mm-hmm. is in, in therapy is the idea that I have, um, for whatever reason... Um, a lot of standards that I set for myself that no one else is holding me to (laughs) like at all. Yeah. And, um, I, part of my journey, I guess, in therapy is being okay with who I am. Uh, you know, that's a big thing that I need that I'm working on. Okay. And so as much as I had problems with Nebraska, I think we talked about how I, um, uh, I think we talked about this on the air. Uh, I can't remember if, if we did or not, but how I, I, Related more to Will Forte's character than Bruce Dern's. Yes. And part of that has to do with age, that I'm closer in age to him and, mm-hmm. and life experience. But also, I think a lot of Will – I interpreted Will Forte's character's journey as, you know, a guy who has, you know, sort of – you know, he, he, he's, he lives in an apartment. His girlfriend left him. You know, he's got a sort of job where he still has to wear a name tag to work every day. Yeah. You know, he, a, a lot of his journey, I think, is becoming okay with who he is. You know, compared to his brother, who's whose career is taking off, who's on on TV now and yeah. stuff like that, and um, I don't know if that's even really what the movie is about. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, I don't know if that's at all what what um, 
the who did Alex Zimmerman write the movie? No, it's a guy named uh, uh, Ben Nelson, Bob Nelson. Okay, Bob um, Nelson. I think I don't know if that was in the intention at all. Uh, but as we talked about with intended versus unintended themes, mm. that's not necessarily important. It's yeah. when I got out of it because it's who I am right yeah. now. And Inside Lewin Davis is also a, a movie about a guy. It's more his his struggle is more specific and that he's trying to make it, you yeah. know, and I don't know. Uh, I don't really have an idea. Like, I think you and I had an idea of what this podcast might. We had maybe pie in the sky ideas. What this podcast might do for us, yeah. so, you know, six years ago or, or whatever when we started it, but six and a half. Um, but I don't know that that's really how I am anymore that I'm out there like yeah. hoping to make it or whatever. Yeah. I mean, but maybe, I still, maybe like, if more people bought tweaked audio earbuds, right. Or their premium episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, only $1.29, uh, but still, uh, so the, the specificity might be something I can relate to in the past, but it's not really a place where I am right now, but still in, in general, the fact that inside Lewin Davis is about a guy who's not happy with where he is in, in life, yeah. um, for reasons that are, his own that are yeah. of, like of his own making, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's a big part of the reason why the movie speaks to me. Okay. Um, and, and, and maybe both Nebraska and inside Lewin Davis in 10 years when I've had 10 more years of ther- therapy and I rewatch yeah. it, I might see them as completely different stories. And that's what I was going to ask you, uh, in regards to the, the rewatching, because I, because as you and I have mentioned, uh, maybe off air, I don't remember if we talked about it on there. Nebraska has two leads, but uh-huh. depending on where you are in your life when you see it, <laughs> it might be a lead in supporting. Right. right now, definitely I do think Bruce, Bruce Dern is a lead, but he does seem more supporting than Will Forte. To us, yeah. To us. Yeah. In 40, 50 years, provided we make it that long. Yeah. Um, well, probably not. Yeah, I, we're not taking good <laughs> care of ourselves or each other. Um, but... Uh, if we were to watch that movie again, which I won't, but if <laughs> if they were if we were to do that, suddenly he's by and lo- by far the lead, and who's this supporting character that right. keeps bothering him? Yeah, yeah, um, that sort of thing. And so that's that's the question I was going to ask. Although I was going to ask it in a slightly different way, have you ever rewatched a movie, and in doing so, the story has changed, and maybe even the genre has changed? Oh well, that gets to the comedy thing. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, uh, uh, and I wish I could have a bigger example, but there are movies like uh, I started thinking about this when you mentioned the master in that every time I rewatch there will be blood. It's more of a comedy yeah. to me, which is not a, uh, like a dig against it for those who know us know that we treat comedy with the same respect as any other mm-hmm. uh, genre. Um, uh, but I didn't, you know, um, I didn't laugh very much at all. The first time I saw there will be blood. Um, Part of that is that I was sick. Um, I, I had a cold the first time I saw yeah. there would be blood. Uh, so remember, your laughter would turn into coughing? Is uh, it one of those kind of sicknesses? No, it was just coming on. I remember that day so well. Do you ever have like a memory of a whole day for some, like, for some reason? Maybe it's because, like, I mean, I, this would be corny, but like the day that I met my fiance, I remember like everything I did that day. I think mm. because that ended up being an important day for me. Yeah. And I... I the day I saw there will be blood is kind of the same thing. I have a lot of very specific memories about what was going on in my life that day. Yeah. Um, and I remember that I was sick. Uh, but every time I watch it, I laugh more. And just last week, I think, I think it was just last week we talked about Fargo, which, uh, I did not see as a comedy the first time I saw it because it has, you know, people getting, you know, fucking killed and chopped up. And it has that, 
the really sad scene with Mike, uh, I always forget how you say it. Yanagita. Mike Yanagita, which in retrospect is also a very funny scene. Yeah. But doesn't lose any of its sadness, which I think is something the Coens are good at. And going back to Inside Lewin Davis, which might be the saddest movie they've ever made, uh, is also very funny. You've got to see a serious man. Yeah. You will, for these reasons, you will love it. It's hilarious and so, so heartbreaking. Um, and this actually something I want to bring up. I try not to read reviews of a movie before I see them. Mm -hmm. I know that's like, I write reviews with the theory that people will read them before they see the movie, but but that's actually not how I do. Yeah. But those people aren't going to write a review themselves. I always worry that I'm going to wind up accidentally lifting, if not an entire thought, but a sentence, even a a specific sentence. But, um, there are things, but sometimes I'm, I'm really glad like after I see a movie, I go and read reviews and, um, uh, Jordan Hoffman wrote about how inside, I can't remember what publication he wrote this for because he freelances a lot. Um, but he's a really great guy, Jordan Hoffman. Um, seek him out. Um, anyway, he wrote about how Inside Lewin Davis is, uh, I can't remember his exact words, but uh, one of the greatest movies about the grieving process that he's ever seen. And that really informed how I watched it the second time and really holds up. Damn. That's why I say that it's uh, um, uh, maybe their saddest movie. Because it, you can really interpret the whole thing through the fact that um, his best friend died shortly before the movie starts. Uh, and, and so that's another thing that can change uh, your opinion of a movie. It just did <laughs> with mine. Um, and though that is definitely a big part of it, like when I think back on it, I think about you know the struggles to make it and all that. But like the idea of the grieving process making everything so much harder. Mm-hmm. Like you have, you, you're still doing all the stuff you were doing before. Yeah. But now I remember when my, I mean, there's a part where he, um, where Lewin Davis, uh, you know, I'm avoiding spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, but he lashes out at someone, uh, who's pretty innocent, a, a woman yeah. you know, for, for doing something she didn't think was wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I think viewing it through the idea that he's going through this grieving process, it makes, makes that so much more forgivable. Yeah. If you think back to, I mean, everyone's lost someone and like the, the, just the, the weird unpredictable spurts of anger that I would get after my dad died, yeah. uh, you know, make me want to forgive Lou and Davis for being incredibly rude to this woman who invited him into her house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. And yeah, I mean, when my father passed away, I remember I, uh, I went to, uh, my pastor for, um, so it was very weird. Like at the time I didn't like to necessarily announce it because I didn't want anybody to view any problem I might have, uh, through that prism. Uh-huh. Um, it should be noted of course that probably a lot of problems I had at the moment <laughs> were a function of that. Right. Uh, so, but I, I don't think I had the perspective. Um, but anyway, so I had mentioned, uh, you know, that I, you know, it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm feeling kind of depressed and stuff. He goes, Oh my gosh, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. He goes, you know, um, he goes, well, if you want to set up a meeting for next week, we can do that. He goes, you know, has, has there been any you know, major changes in your life? And I was like, uh, well, you know, my dad died a few months ago <laughs> and he goes, uh-huh. Okay. Well, I'd say that's a big one. <laughs> and he's like, let's, I'm very glad you told me that before the meeting so I can kind of incorporate that into my thought process. Um, and when we, when we met, he said, he said, yeah, he goes, because to me, my big thing was like, I didn't want to make a big deal of it because 
not a lot, at the time, not a lot of other people had gone through it and I just felt like nobody would understand and that I should just be able to just deal with it and, and it would be fine. He goes, yeah, you, you're only 20. You've had, you know, you've had your parents your whole life to depend on. He goes, imagine you're sitting on a chair with four legs and then one of them just gets removed. <laughs> it's like, you can still technically sit on it, but it takes some effort. And he's like, that's your situation right now. He goes, and you're still kind of getting accustomed to this, this new way of living. And so it's that, so now that you've said that about inside Lewin Davis, that is remarkably insightful on okay, his part. And then Jordan, yeah. it, that's on his part is remarkably insightful. And I guarantee you the next time I watch it, I'm going to be thinking about that. Right. Yeah. Um, but to go back to the, the idea of a movie like changing genre and, and that sort of thing, Fargo is definitely one. And I think it's dependent on however I'm feeling in the moment, <laughs> you know? Um, and then one that we go back to over and over again, it's our way of the gun is of course ravenous. Uh When I first saw it, I thought, I I thought it was a suspense horror movie, which it is. There's no, there's no either or here. It's always and with ravenous. But anyway, I thought it was a ravenous. uh, I'll, I'll, I'll disagree with you a bit here. Announces itself as a comedy almost immediately with the two, quotes that appear on screen at that the is true beginning. yes yes but that it just that just struck me as a little cheeky and ironic uh-huh. and that's the thing you remove those quotes and just watch the movie as is people could say it's not a comedy especially the way it starts which is not funny not funny at yeah. all it's very very disturbing um but the more i watch it the more i think it's hilarious without losing any of the depth of it um but yeah, and so I'm trying to think if there's any other. I'm sure there are a number of other uh, films that I've watched. Yeah, um, we should be wrapping up. Soon. For example, I watched Wizard of Oz when I was a kid. Um, and that's a movie that I haven't seen since I was a kid. And I, I know I'm being a little cheeky here, but I think of it as a horror movie more than anything because I was so terrified. I watched it all the time. Did the monkeys this, scare you or the trees? Uh, the monkeys, but also just uh, Oz when they first meet him and that booming oh. voice and you can't see him and the cowardly lion is all scared. Like, it terrifies me. David, I've got good news for and, you. What? It's just this guy behind <laughs> yeah, the curtain. But that says something about me as a kid that The Wizard of Oz and also An American Tale, the, the shipwreck scene, yes. both terrified like hide behind the couch terrified me and yet i watched them all the time oh no question yeah uh i was terrified by the end of raiders Raiders of the lost ark which you should be um (laughs) and yet i could not get away from it um but uh meanwhile now if i see a spider i will run into the next room uh so like apparently as a kid i was much easier with uh fighting my fears um i won't run into the next room i'm not insane i'll kill the spider no no question completely off topic okay this is something that my fiance and I were talking about. I always think of spiders as female. Interesting. Because she, it came up because she always refers to cockroaches as he. And I was like, oh, is a cockroach always? She was like, yeah, they're all gross boys. <laughs> That's what she said. Fair enough. <laughs> but I, and that made me think about, do I have any of that? And I always think of spiders as female. I'm not, I'm not sure Here's why. Here's the neat thing about spiders with me is monsters are not male or female <laughs> so i think i don't think of them as any as either uh, gender they are merely monsters that are sometimes that are small uh jen and i happen to be watching a season of survivor right now that i purchased for her for christmas um and it takes place in the amazon i wish i'd thought of that because there are tarantulas everywhere oh tarantulas aren't that scary though. are you kidding me 
Are you kidding me right now? Yeah, tarantulas are not what I think of as scary. Like, ah, oh, just thinking about it now, I'm worrying about one screwing up my leg. I don't know, but they got the hair on them. They're kind of cute. No, the hair is what makes them terrifying. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, animals, we're so off topic. Um, alligators and crocodiles. There's no gender there for me because those are horrifying hell beasts. Well, you had an experience with one, right? Um, did I? Like while golfing or something? <laughs> no, I had a... <laughs> okay, I've, I'm sure I've told this story before. I was already terrified because it, I didn't have to have an experience with alligators or crocodiles to be terrified of them because they're fucking terrifying. Yeah, they're they're mo- dinosaurs. They're modern that are dinosaurs. Still around, yeah. uh, Not unlike the Republican Party, am I right? Exactly. They're horrifying. And so I went golfing with my brother in Florida, and um, I no, you know, you hear horror stories about uh, Florida. You know, just finding. Uh, alligators on the golf course um and you know the everglades in the only place uh as far as i know the only place in the world where alligators alligators and crocodiles coexist so that's terrifying um they've got a coalition of fear yeah yeah and so uh i uh i had hit my shot off the tee and it had gone into the rough just off the green and there was a stream running that down that part of the of the rough and so in order to shoot the ball back toward the, the 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 green sorry i said i said green before the fair, uh, I was off the fairway, so in order to shoot the ball back toward the green, I had to put my back to the stream. Mm-hmm. So I've got my back to the stream. I got this alligator thing in my head, and I hear just this great flutter of water in my head. That's that's an alligator that is coming out of the of the stream yeah. at me and is going to eat me. And so I did what I read to do, which is to run in a zigzag pattern, which confuses the alligator. <laughs> so I drop, I drop my. My, my 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 club i start running uh you know horizontally across the fairway in a zigzag pattern back and forth um i finally get far enough away that i feel comfortable looking back it was just a couple of ducks taking off that's all i heard <laughs> so i see that and then i look over and my brother is like literally doubled over with laughter. like i know that's the thing people say literally not standing up straight because he's laughing so hard at me running yeah. in a zigzag pattern across his golf course that sounds delightful yeah. no i don't think you've ever told it on the on the show you told me okay. years ago okay well um, that's yeah that's that's that and um how we're off topic the, oh that's right uh so let's see uh things that were scary oh wizard of oz yeah yeah okay so i saw it when i was a kid and it is a, it is a wonderful kids movie um I rewatched it uh, several years ago. I went and saw it on the big screen at the Arclight, and I had not seen it in, I would venture to say, my teenage or adult life. I had not seen it, I'm going to say 20, like 18 to 20 years mm-hmm. at that point. And I watched it, and suddenly I was so happy I rewatched it because at that point I had seen it so many times when I was a kid. I thought I got it. Uh-huh. It's like, all right. Somewhere over the rainbow, flying monkeys, you know, uh, munchkins. I got, like, I remembered a lot of the story. Mm-hmm. That movie is so much more than its story. That movie ca- holds so much for adults. It's got, w- it's got it. great one-liners. It's got, like, and it's that, kind of like a metaphor about the depression, right? Is that, that's something I've read before, but I haven't. Um, um I don't think I was thinking about it in that moment, but, the, but yes. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's just this idea of, like, the scene where uh, where Oz is giving you know the our heroes their various things you know, um, 
and he just talks about he's like it's really cynical uh-huh. uh like when he talks about uh, when he talks to scare the scarecrow who of course just wants a brain and he goes he's like he goes you don't need a brain if you've got a diploma <laughs> you know and it's like what the, what it just, you watch it and it's like no kid's gonna understand that i yeah, certainly didn't i funny. get it now and i think it's hilarious and it's just like you watch it now and it's and you realize that yes it is a it is a, 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 a kids movie a family film but it is much it is much more than that and had i not rewatched it admittedly many years later um if i had not rewatched it i think i would have like recognized yes wizard of oz is a wonderful family film and I would have stopped there. Mm-hmm. But it, now I think it is one of the best movies of all time because I think anyone can enjoy it. I have to rewatch it. It's great. Um, is it on Blu-ray? It is. I think it just had a, a really nice release on Blu-ray. Okay. Um, one I need to rewatch. It's a movie that I've always, I've never really gone to bat for, but I've always had a soft spot for, is Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. But I, no, I, I, I like to credit people, who I, but I can't remember who whose review of 12 Years a Slave I was reading. It might have been um, David Thompson for the New Republic uh, was talking about how um, Gone with the Wind has never come under the fire, deserved to come under for how racist it is. Hmm. And I think maybe this is a you know a result of my own white privilege. I've never I've never spent a lot of time examining the racism of Gone with the Wind. I've I've seen it as a dated movie in that yeah. sense, you know, um, but I've never really uh, watched it with that in mind. And um, I'm looking forward to at some point sitting down uh, and doing that because I have the uh, this will show you how much I like them. I, ha- I have the four disc DVD special edition of mm-hmm. Gone with the Wind, um, and but I haven't watched it in in years since I first got it, which is back in 2005 or so. What is the name? Is it uh, is it Fanny, the housekeeper? Oh, um, played by Butterfly McQueen. No, uh, Hattie McDaniel. Oh, Henry. Okay, because Butterfly McQueen is the one who says, uh, "I don't know nothing about birth and no babies." I thought that was Hattie McDaniel. No, I'm pretty sure that's the younger. Uh, okay, and that's actually something I was thinking of. That I just thought that was like uh, that line. I don't know nothing about birth and no babies, Miss Scarlet, or whatever. I just thought it was like kind of old fashioned and corny, and I sort of viewed as ironically funny when yeah. she said it. But also, like, I think it's. I think that's part of the racism that she's supposed to be stupid and that yeah. i think scarlet slaps her you know because she's hysterical yeah uh yeah uh, well i'm, I'm pretty was, sure that it's uh, butterfly mcqueen who says that line okay. not Hattie mcdaniel uh it, it has been a long time since i've seen it i feel like i should rewatch it but i just do not have the uh the time um you have four hours <laughs> exactly yeah and so uh but i do wonder if people don't look at the movie that way because Hattie mcdaniel won an oscar for it Right. And that was viewed as, and that, you know, looking back now, that's but, a, that's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, by the way, did. though, didn't sit at the same table as the rest of the cast yeah. uh, at the ceremony. By the way, if Except you want to watch a wonderful Oscar, Oscar acceptance speech, type in Hattie McDaniel oh, I should... or is it McDaniels? I don't remember. I think it's just McDaniel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, type that in cause it is, man, it's wonderful. Also, she did not attend. This was in the review. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was David Thompson now. Um, she did not attend the premiere in Atlanta at the strong suggestion of the mayor of Atlanta. Oh my <laughs> strong. Oh, strong suggestion. That, I guess. Yeah. The mayor was, I guess, contacted David Oselznik and was like, we're really glad you're having the premiere here. Maybe we're not okay with, uh, with yeah. her on the red carpet. I'm, it would be, uh, here's the thing. I would like to do a, I would love to do an episode about the racism of old Hollywood. 
Um, but I feel like I'd need to do a lot more research into it. Well, we're, um, a couple, what, two years away from the hundredth anniversary of birth of a nation. No, I guess so. Is that 1915? Is that when that came out? Yeah. That's 1915. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. All right. Two years, everyone. We, we've we got, got two you know, years to do um, this episode. But uh, yeah, because one of the things, you know what? I'll save it. Never mind. I'm saving it for that episode. For two years. Um, so let's not forget, because I remember when we started, we said, if we're still doing this, is back in 2007. We said, if we're still doing this in two years, we should do a 10 year look at the Matrix in 2009. Did we, we said never, that. Did we never do and that? We never did it. Here it is four years after oh, that. Oh, boy. And we never did that. That was what, like a plan of ours that we were going to do in 2009, and we completely forgot for all of 2009. <laughs> So we should make a note about this birth of a nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) People remind us about the birth of a nation, uh, racism in early Hollywood. Um, Real quick, I know that we do need to to get going. Mostly what we've talked about is rewatching a movie and actually having more appreciation for it. Yeah. We've not, we haven't really done the other thing. Uh, Which the number one example for me is a movie that I almost like was like, oh, I wish I didn't rewatch that because I liked it so much the first time. The Dark Knight, the Christopher Nolan film. I loved it so much the first time I saw it that like when my... My, uh, I had seen it with uh, my friend, friend of the show, Patrick Starr, mm-hmm. um, and my brother came out here uh, out to visit, um, and I was, and it was like later that same summer, and I was like, oh, you haven't seen The Dark Knight yet? We got to go see it. Yeah. And I watched it, and I was like, oh, this was, this movie's not as good as I remember from two weeks ago. I recently got it on uh, Blu-ray and threw it in, and looks beautiful, of course, and um yeah, that's one. I, I've seen it probably four or five times. Uh, I've gone back and forth on it every single time because every time I have to, what'll happen is the first time I saw it, I really, really liked it. In fact, I'd say I loved it. Mm-hmm. Second time I watched it, I was like, man, this dialogue is clunky as hell. <laughs> yeah. It really as is. hell. Yeah. But then I watched it. Then I, that, then I watched it the third time reminding myself broad strokes uh-huh. christopher nolan is a is a filmmaker of, of he's a big broad filmmaker and there's nothing wrong with that there's a lot of his defenders who would disagree with that by the way uh, those people are incorrect um <laughs> yeah but the <laughs> okay sorry everybody i shouldn't say it quite like that but um but just uh, but i agree with you but that's the thing like look at the, okay so then i then i'll watch it with that in mind and it's like you know what i don't know why i was so hard on this movie then i'll watch it again remembering the positive experience then I see the clunkiness of the dialogue again. <laughs> and so this latest cycle, clunky again. Yeah. And it's just like, are, it's, are you shitting me? Like, it's not enough that Bruce Wayne says about Harvey Dent, this is the face of Gotham's bright future. That's not enough. That's already nail on the head. Uh-huh. He, he proceeds it with, he goes, I mean, look at this face. <laughs> Who says that in life? Whoever says that in life? <laughs> About another man that he's not attracted no, to. You say that about a baby. You say it about say, a baby, don't you? Look at this face. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe like an Italian mobster would say it. You know about like, <laughs> but like, that's the kind of thing. That's somebody who has who is trying to really get you to, the audience to focus on a theme. You know, it just man, that movie is clunky as hell. Mm-hmm. Really bothersome. So you're watching. It's like a pendulum. Eventually, you'll settle in the middle where you'll be okay with it. Well, I think plenty of people have already settled uh, on that film um, <laughs> because it's just it is treated as like the holy grail of like superhero movies. It's like there's a lot going on there. And I think it's at its best. The reason that it's good is pre- or there, pardon me, the reason that it's novel 
is precisely because Christopher Nolan was not setting out to make a superhero movie. Yeah. And thus it has, I have a hard time viewing it as such. Let me ask you this and we'll wrap up. Okay. I'm not going to say what is the best because a superhero movie can be a billion different things. Yeah. What movie, what superhero movie represents the closest to your ideal superhero movie? And I'll go first to give you time to think. Okay. Minus Spider-Man two. That's mine. Okay. We're on the same page. I mean, I love the Avengers, but that's such a different, that's such an event. Like Uh as far as the lone superhero, um, you know, seeing, you know, developing the character while also having an individual adventure, um, wonderful action set, set pieces, like a sense of fun with a sense of weight. Mm -hmm. Um, and which is, I think it, um, as much as I do like Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man two got that balance. I think that's why I like it better is that that balance between the fun and the weight yeah. is it. Those things are able to exist within the same scene, which yeah. is, I feel like the first Spider-Man sort of volleys back and forth a little bit. And that's the thing, the clunkiness, uh, the clunky and broad dialogue that comes with the Sam, Ra- Sam Raimi Spider-Man films doesn't bother me because he's making a big, broad film. It's in not, not piece a, with the presentation. Exactly. Absolutely. Whereas, though I do say that uh, Christopher Nolan is a big, broad filmmaker, with those movies, he really tried to emphasize realism. Like, this is a thing that could actually happen. And it's that's like, why they suffer yeah. a little bit. You, like, if you were to take those scripts and put them with, say, like a Tim Burton, not a Joel Schumacher, but like a Tim Burton presentation, don't get me wrong. I like Nolan's vision of gotham city i it works for me it's it, i like a lot of it mm-hmm. but um and i love batman begins but like um if you were to take those scripts and pair them with the tim burton visual i don't think i would be i don't think i would i would even think of the script mm-hmm. you know batman returns has a terrible script <laughs> but i love it you know because it's it's big and broad in so many ways. I mean, yeah, thing- well, I think with, uh, it's something I've been thinking about with, with Wolf of Wall Street, um, the idea that content dictates form mm-hmm. and that um, Martin Scorsese's like tricks and uh, all the crazy things that he likes to do yeah. work so much in Wolf of Wall Street because it's, it's an excessive movie about an excessive character. Yeah. And so the stuff he layers on works. Whereas something like, I think you and I are, not necessarily on the same page about bringing out the dead. I think you like it more than I do, although I respect it. I think sometimes that gets a little like eye rolling with how much stuff he layers on. Yeah. Um, and I think that's my main problem with Christopher Nolan is that he's trying to force his content into a form that it doesn't want to be in yeah. both in the Batman movies and in inception, yeah. which is a gigantic, ridiculous movie that he treats at every beat. Like it's, the most serious intellectual thing in the world. And that's why that movie is so infuriating and unwatchable to me. Yeah. Hey, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and this, and maybe this is a personal question. So, uh, if I'm over the line, okay. If I'm over the line, let me know. Okay. And this is something that I have not experienced and I, I will try to, uh, not sound, you know, judgmental or anything. Um, has there ever been a movie that you have watched while on drugs that you then watch not on drugs and it makes, and it, affects your overall view of the film or Uh, vice versa um i don't i don't think so i will say um yeah i I don't think that that has ever happened uh, because i don't think that um you're still you when you're on drugs i think is is the is the thing um I, i i do think that 
um, you have yeah, it, the experience is obviously different. The first time I saw Shadow of the Vampire, I was on acid, mm-hmm. and that's um, a really weird movie to see that way. Um, and, but I don't regret the experience. I'm glad that I've also seen it sober multiple right. times. Um, but uh, I, I don't think the experience was completely different, and I think it's because, like I said, you're still you're still you. Okay, yeah, you, you, you know. Um, I, I mean, maybe like. I don't know. I don't, I, and I don't. Uh, other than I, I still, I still drink plenty, but I don't do any other hallucinogens yeah. or any other things like that um, anymore. But I have had experiences with. Oh wow! Yeah, your Sorry. neighbor's got a, quite a lot of engine there. Mm-hmm. Um, um, not with movies, but with music, I've had experiences with, with marijuana where I feel like I'm hearing more notes. Okay. Um, but I, I, again, I don't know that it's. I'm not hearing notes that aren't there. Yeah. It's just, uh, I'm just, it just allows me to focus, I guess. Well, and, and I want to zero in on, on pot specifically. And that's the thing. When I ask these questions, I always feel bad because I feel like I sound either judgmental or naive and it's just, I haven't experienced it. And so, you know, the question might seem too broad or, or whatever, but you know, with, with pot specifically, one of the things that I have, you know, like uh, on an episode of the Simpsons, for example, um, the idea that something can be viewed as funnier while high and then if and then when you watch or or uh, let's go with drunk as well because like homer once when we, when he was not drinking went to see a baseball game <laughs> and said i had no idea how boring this game really is so that's, that's one a thing. common complaint about baseball by non-baseball fans that i completely disagree with. i agree i, I disagree yes i mean it's um, I, I go sober all the time again I'm not an authority on this because I, I never really liked weed that much. Okay. I smoke. I, I, there was a period in my life when I smoked fairly regularly. I don't think this will seem like a minor distinction, but I think you'll know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't think you find stuff funnier, but I think you laugh more. Okay. When when you're high, I think that's. I remember okay. watching South Park and just like. It's not that I found it any funnier. I yeah, was just like it just comes more easier. Expressive, yeah. Yeah. You're more you're more uninhibited in your reaction, but the reaction itself is still basically the same. Is yeah, what I, you're think, saying. I think that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was just curious. So because that's something that I have absolutely no frame of reference <laughs> for. Uh, I would say and I would also say don't uh, you know, I because I drink a fair amount. I sometimes see movies while I've had drinks, mm-hmm. but I don't think like actually being drunk is a good way to see a movie for a first time. Because I think. It does the opposite, whereas um, uh, weed and even even acid, if your uh, um, mind is in the right place, can actually help you focus more on certain things. Hmm. I think uh, as much as I like alcohol, it, it dulls you a little bit. And it's probably not the best way to see a movie, you know. Um, I, the second time I saw The World's End, I got I, – I got – I was – You decided uh, to – go along with them it was uh essentially yeah but it was not even that it was like i uh i got off work early and i was supposed to it was like it, it would have been ridiculous for me to go home mm-hmm. and natalie was going to meet me to see it so i just went to the theater and bought the tickets and then went to a nearby bar that i was like oh, i'll just check twitter and like order a drink mm-hmm. but i was like so early i ended up having like a bunch of drinks <laughs> and i was like I was trashed <laughs> a little bit when the world's end started the second time I saw it. What well, did, did that have an effect, especially a movie like that, that is not merely fast paced editing, but is also characters getting progressively more drunk. 
Um, no, I don't know. I think because I'd already seen it, I, I don't okay. know how much of an effect it, it really had. Okay. Uh, and I might be overstating things because I felt fine by the time the movie was over. Oh, all right. I think I just had a, I had a healthy buzz on when the movie started. Yeah, that's the kind of movie that sobers you yeah. up. And by the way, I had taken, just so you know, um, public transit. I was not driving that day. Oh, okay. I had taken the bus from work and Natalie was driving me home, so... Watch movies responsibly, everybody. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Uh, and I will say this uh, from personal experience: the best way to see uh, Neil Blomkamp's Elysium uh, uh-huh. is on horse tranquilizers. <laughs> so, because if you if you watch it dead sober, uh, you will think it's the worst thing ever. Uh-huh. So, I can speak to that. Here's the thing: the horse the horse tranquilizer thing that is. Uh, I'm assuming that. Right. The second part, I'm not assuming. Right. You will think it is terrible if you see it dead sober. Words to live by. Um, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us, David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com. My other podcast is the weekly TV uh, podcast, Hey, Watch This, with Paul and David. This week, we're doing something uh, fun because so few things are are, are airing. <laughs> uh, we decided we, we picked a couple of uh, Christmas episodes of TV shows. So we're watching um, Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas from season two. That's a good one. Of Community, which I've never seen. And then I assigned season three, episode 10 of The Sopranos, to save us all from Satan's power, uh, which is which is a really fun, uh, not a fun episode, but uh, uh, in retrospect, it is. You think like so much time passed in Sopranos episodes. Like my fear was like I signed this episode, but is it just like is it just part of it that's Christmas? Is like no, this is the year that Sopranos did a Christmas episode. <laughs> the whole thing is essentially about Christmas or takes place around Christmas. So that's uh, at hey, watch this. You can why you can follow. Sorry, you can find that podcast and this podcast and all the other podcasts, uh, not to mention all our fantastic movie reviews, such as my reviews of the aforementioned Labor Day and The Wolf of Wall Street and the aforementioned uh, Scott's review of the aforementioned Inside Lewin Davis. You can find all of those at BattleshipRetention.com. So do that, and thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.